Wow, what a lead-in. Well, hello again. It is your host, Joe Show, and this is a special episode of the Brain Droppings Podcast, Season 1, Episode 15. I think we'll title this one, Back to the Grind, meaning I'll uh, get some good content for you today in tonight's uh, episode some topical stuff. So if you're listening shortly after I drop it, uh, you're going to get some really good stuff to listen to and topics that we're going to cover today. Uh, first and foremost, now that we're on the tail end of the holiday weekend, being that it is Sunday, the 7th of July, uh, I'd like to talk about the 4th of July festivities that just transpired from barbecues to desserts, fireworks to alcoholic drinks, and a little uh, little taste of history as we go down that path. Secondly, I'm going to take you to Jacksonville, Florida and beyond for a review of Metro Diner. Uh, become a staple place for me to stop at whenever I'm in the Florida area and uh, give you a little bit of history on the diner, a review of the menu, uh, signature dishes that they have, sandwiches, homemade soups, scratch desserts, um, talk a little bit about them and because... We're talking about Florida. Um, we will talk a little bit about some news coming out of Florida uh, this week. One kind of serious and tragic, so that's always a sad thing to hear about. But the other one, you know, stupid human tricks, Florida criminal news. Uh, you'll never believe what this guy was arrested for. Uh, followed by, I'll finish off the broadcast or the podcast today with a rundown of what I just sat through, which was the U.S. Women National Team's FIFA World Cup 2019 from Lyon, France, final match against the Netherlands. So without any further ado, I welcome you to Brain Droppings, episode 15 Season one, back to the grind. All right, so back to the grind. Let's take these things one at a time, shall we? Fourth uh, of July festivities just basically culminated. I'm sure some cities and towns have firework displays um, the week prior to, the week of, the week after, and a couple weeks down the line for fireworks and stuff. Hopefully you and your family were able to get out and see some great fireworks this year. Um, I have a kind of sarcastic view on fireworks it's one of those once you've seen them once do you really need to keep going and seeing them again um but then again you know everybody's different it's just not my thing my boys aren't that into it um however what they are into is barbecues so i'd like to talk a little bit about barbecuing uh the foods that you know that we barbecue the standards and then some of the things that might be a little bit you know a field from that uh, you know, so you have your staples, you have hamburgers, you have hot dogs, uh, chicken, ribs, steaks. Uh, but, you know, some of the lesser known phenomenal barbecue items would be like turkey tips. They're phenomenal. Uh, and then seafood. If you have cedar planks, you want to do salmon on the grill. You can do pizza on the grill if you have a cast iron skillet. Uh, you can do desserts on the grill. I'm a bit of a, a, a grill guy, and everybody kind of has their preference. There are gas grill people. There are charcoal grill people, smoker onlys. You know, you have to take your pick. But what I found is when it comes to wanting even, consistent cooking um, across the board, there's really no substitute for a gas grill. 
Now, that's not to say you don't line the bottom with lava rocks. I mean, a lot of people do, and that's probably a better way to do it because you're going to get even better heat distribution across the uh, the grates. But it's like a gas stove. So you're able to regulate your heat. You're able to do indirect heating phenomenally. Um, does it ever replace that sweet taste of charcoal? No. But, you know, then again, you got to like the taste of charcoal. I just like the taste of good barbecued meat. Um, and I've cooked on everything from wood to charcoal to gas. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, the end result is what's important. So turkey tips, marinate them for about 24 hours, throw them on the grill, cook them as you would chicken, make sure your internal temp is 165 or up and you are set to go. When it comes to steaks and burgers in this house, I don't cook anything over medium. So if you like a medium well or a well done piece of shoe leather, I suggest you get an exacto knife, cut the bottom of your shoe off and gnar on that between two pieces of bread because well done means all the flavor is well gone. Um, I, I, my steaks are, you know, when I, me myself, I like a medium rare. I understand most people don't. I might go to the backside of medium to medium well. So you're getting, I'm, I, I can't do no pink. No pink to me is, it's no use. It's no, it, at that point, why even have it? You know, because the flavor is, and the tenderness of the meat is when you're cooking it to that, that perfect medium or that medium rare or that, you know, again, touching the borderline of medium well. I, I personally can't eat medium well, but I know some people do prefer it. Well done. You might want to reassess your meat liking because I'm guessing you might be outside of that. Um, other things to do on the grill. You have so many options. I mean, I grow my corn on the cob. I don't boil it. I keep it in the husk. I basically submerge them in water for about half hour, 45 minutes before I'm going to grill them. Then I take them out of the water, put them on the grill, and let them steam. Um, no better flavor for your, your corn on the cob. Uh, you can do shrimp on the grill. Probably skewers the best method there. Otherwise, you're going to be picking shrimp out of your grates for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean... Fourth of July barbecues, they, they bring out your weekend warriors and your idiots like me who live in the Northeast yet grill year round. And what I mean by that is that every year come wintertime when we get a significant amount of snow, I'm the jag off that's going out there shoveling a path to my grill to ensure that, you know, when I want to have steak, I'm not cooking it in my oven. It's not not what I do for fun. Um, another thing that's kind of syn synony synonymous, synonymous, wow. I just had a brain fart. It's a long weekend. Bear with me. Um, I promise good stuff's coming this week on top of this, which I think is good. Um, but better stuff probably if I can get the one and only Mike C uh, live in studio with me. I'm traveling to his part of the country this week, and I'm going to bring my microphone with me in hopes that I can get a little uh, FaceTime with my brother. And maybe his audio will be phenomenal, and we'll be able to, to share some of our stories. But um, another... Another topic of the 4th of July barbecue is obviously it's it's a great opportunity for a gathering of people, whether it's family or friends. Um, the fabulous Kate, when she lived in Massachusetts, her entire street would block itself off from uh, from auto traffic and become a giant block party, which was a lot of fun. Um, and it gives you a great opportunity when you when you can commune with neighbors gives you a great opportunity to kind of try some foods that might be traditional in their house but aren't in yours. And I'll tell you, for, for me, it was variations of pasta salad. Um, 
I not really a huge fan of pasta salad and, and no mayo guy as as a rule. But being opened up to that through her block parties when we were dating was was pretty phenomenal. Um, the desserts, oh my god, yeah. I mean, any summer weekend is a good occasion for dessert. I mean, in the summer, you know, we worked as hard as we could supposedly. If you did what you were supposed to, you basically worked yourself crazy from the back half of winter straight up through spring, so that you'd be into bathing suit weather. Or if you're a guy, less embarrassed to rip off the t-shirt and show the tool shed you got built there. But um, desserts are a staple, and there are many of them, um, especially in the June, July, August time frame in the Northeast. That's when all your your fruits are coming to to harvest. Um, so your berries, your blueberry cobblers, your your strawberry rhubarb pies, your shortcakes, um, you name it. I mean, desserts are amazing. And again, at these larger gatherings, you can be opened up to a bunch of different desserts that maybe you weren't even thinking about originally. Um, I know that for me, at one of them, it was a Kahlua cake. I'd never had one. It came in this giant bowl, um, like a cake bowl, I guess, cake stand bowl. And it was the best thing I've ever had. I think it was pudding. It was mousse. There was whipped cream involved. There was Kahlua for sure. Um, It was good. And then... You know, what else besides desserts do you have? You have fireworks. And, you know, I decided I have a couple other items I'm going to call out. But, you know, fireworks, hopefully while you're listening to me, you're listening to me with all 10 fingers and 10 toes. Um, You didn't do anything stupid because, let's face it, you know, a big part of the 4th of July in your adult life revolves around fireworks and alcohol uh, because, you know, that's what the founding fathers would have liked. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's the story for another day. But anywho, um, hopefully you, you didn't mix too heavy. You have all your fingers and toes. It was a safe 4th of July for you. You were either able to go see fireworks or safely uh, light and ignite them on your own. For drinks, Around the holiday, specifically 4th of July, you see a lot of Arnold Palmer's, rum punches, uh, jello shots if you're in your 20s still, Jaeger bombs, you name it. Um, but one of my favorites was one that Kate came up with, and it's called a watermelon bomb. And basically, you take a seedless watermelon, you cut the top off, you hold it the long way, and like you're going to stand it up like it looks like a football and you cut the top part off. And with that, you take an emulsifier. You go in there and you you literally emulsify all the meat of the watermelon. Uh, you dump a little bit out and then you add a bottle of vodka. At the bottom, you core out a spout. And at Michael's, they sell just the spout. So you jam that in. And now you have not only a really cool decorative piece, but you have like a great little cooler that has your watermelon punch in it. It's It, it was an awesome idea. Um, I'll try to tweet out that. I have a picture of it. I'll try to tweet that out. And then it all kind of leads you into, when you're thinking about the fourth, the history of the fourth. And, you know, what a checkered history it is. Because when you think back to how the 4th of July has been uh, th- not thrusted, but educated to the, the, the younger generations. It's not necessarily accurate. I mean, we observe July 4th as Independence Day each year. Um, the only significance 
is the fact that July 4th itself was selected. Nothing happened that day, people. When you look back through history, the Continental Congress voted on July 2nd of 1776 to ratify the Declaration of Independence. At no time <laughs> did anybody gather on the 4th. In fact, because, you know, we're talking about the time before electricity, time before expedited um, mail, there was no email, there was no internet. Um, some of the the governors uh, or the the authors or the signees is probably best spoken um, weren't even able to sign the Declaration of Independence until August because it took a while to get to Florida, to get to Georgia, to get to Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina. It took a while for this document to get down there to be signed. Another misnomer is that John Hancock signed as large as he could so that the King of England could see it without wearing his glasses. We were all told that as children. Um, history tells us that the King of England didn't wear glasses. Um, John Hancock signed his name that large because he didn't anticipate everybody else signing that particular copy of the De Declaration of Independence. Um, there were a lot of misnomers that were forgotten. July 2nd is actually a rather busy day in history when you look back at 1776. I mean, not only did you have the Continental Congress um, ratifying the Declaration of Independence, but the Pennsylvania Evening Post at the time, they published a statement that said, this day, the Continental Congress declared the United Colonies free and independent states. John Adams thought that July 2nd was going to be the day in the future that Americans celebrated. So he sent a letter to his wife. And I, I just want to share this with you because I thought it was it was really cool. Um, his exact quote to that John Adams sent to Abigail Adams, who, you know, they they were Massachusetts based politicians. He said, uh, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of the United of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance, sought by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. Well, we went with July 4th. <laughs> so take it for what it's worth, folks. Um, just remember that at the end of the day, you can always go to the Library of Congress. You can always go to the Smithsonian. You can always get your actual history um, right there. It is your self-serve spot for all things. I mean, you want to use the interwebs. I tell you to enter the pond carefully. There is misinformation out there. There is speculation. Um, and I would strongly advise you that if you want the true history of the United States, of the Continental Congress, um, if you want to dispel some of the rumors, the Liberty Bell did not crack from being rung for freedom. It was cracked because it was poorly made. Um, Paul Revere did not travel yelling, the Brit, the 
the Redcoats are coming. The Redcoats are coming. It, that didn't happen. He was part of the Midnight Riders, but he never actually comp- completed his ride. Uh, if you're ever in the Boston area, one of the best tourist attractions you could possibly do, and I've been a chaperone now for two of my children's field trips, is to walk and do a guided tour of the Boston Freedom Trail. This will start you out on Boston Common and then take you all the way over to the USS Constitution. Um, along the way, you are being guided normally. Now, there's a variety of people that guide you, but in my experience, I have been fortunate enough each and every time to be guided by a, stu- a college student who is a history major. Uh, they're dressed in period garb, and they are providing you with the actual history that transpired during this very important part during our country's fight for independence from the Kingdom of England. So I, I, I strongly suggest if you don't have the opportunity to go to the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian and look this stuff up yourself and, and actually sit down and read and bust a day out, then at least walk the Freedom Trail um, with a guide. It is an amazing day in Boston. Uh, it's an amazing tour. It's done so well. Um, and I'm sure if you just type into your Google search, Boston Freedom Trail Tours, you will find a tour company that works for you. I'm not promoting anybody because nobody's paying for sponsorship at this point. But I can tell you that one of the things that I, I enjoyed the most about that field trip was that they start you in the Boston Common. You walk through. By the time you end up at the um, at Faneuil Hall, you get a nice break for lunch. There's hundreds of restaurants in that general area. Um, and then it continues on, takes you through the North End, uh, through the Old North Church, back down around to the wharf, and then over to the USS Constitution. It's, it's just a phenomenal day. So... That is my 4th of July uh, breakdown, rundown, quick little history. Hopefully you took a tidbit out of that that you can put forward and and turn into something that you think about down the line. But there are other topics to talk about today. And one of the ones I really want to talk about is I found a new restaurant. And it's not that new to me, although it's going to be new to the podcast. Um, As you all know, I make a lot of mentions about my work travel. I travel the United States for the company that I work for. I work for a candy confectionery manufacturer, and um, that affords me the opportunity to visit several states. So as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, this upcoming week, I'll be in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. Um, I might even touch Nebraska. So that's what I have coming up. But on a recent trip uh, during this, you know, bit of a stumble for regularity in my podcast uh, uploading. I took two weeks in which I was in the state of Florida on two separate occasions in different parts of Florida. I was in the panhandle of Florida, um, so over by Pensacola, Panama City Beach, Fort Walton Beach, that that part of the for- Florida, and then Destin, that, that whole area. And then the following week, I was in the greater Jacksonville area, so Jacksonville, all the way over to Gainesville, up to Lake Mary, um, and back and into Jacksonville. So while I was out and about, I was on the hunt for something good. You know, something not overly touristy. So as I was zipping around, I came across um, a, a restaurant called The Metro Diner. And 
If you haven't heard about these folks and you don't plan on going to Florida, fear not. There are over a hundred metro diners across the United States from Florida all the way to Nevada. Uh, in fact, there's one in Vegas. So I do suggest you seeking these out. Not only is it a pretty amazing diner, um, it's a staple of Jacksonville, Florida, where it started. I've actually eaten in the very first location, which was opened up in 1938. Um, it is amazing. The food is amazing. Um, it's consistent because there are, I think, 13 or 14 in the greater Jacksonville area. I've eaten at about 10 of them now. Um, I can tell you that they were featured on Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Um for some of their their meals but what they're most well known for if you go into any of the jacksonville locations specifically and you say to them hey listen i've never eaten here before and i do this a lot whenever i go to a restaurant i'll say listen i've never eaten here before i don't know anything about your menu if somebody were to come into your restaurant saying that what would you have them try on your menu so at the metro it was literally zero hesitation. My server said, you have to try the chicken and waffles. It's what we're known for. So I said, okay. So I ordered it. What came to my plate was nothing short of the most amazing. And not that chicken and waffles is a complicated meal. Um, but the way that it was set up, the way it was presented, the the ample amount of waffles and chicken and then the accoutrement uh, to the dish were, was phenomenal. Uh, they served their chicken and waffles with a homemade whipped real fresh strawberry butter um, and hot sauce and maple syrup. And the idea is they even educate you on the proper way to eat it. And that is that you are to butter your waffles, put your hot sauce and your maple syrup together to create like a sweet and spicy dipping sauce and then literally go to town. The chicken was tender. It wasn't fatty. It was crispy. It was amazing. The waffles held up to the, you know, the, the chicken. It held up to the butter. Um, it could not be a better thing. Now, I've eaten several different dishes at the Metro Diner. Um, I've had the club sandwiches, the homemade soups, and because I am a sweet tooth at heart, all of their scratch-made desserts are phenomenal. And I do suggest that you get there fairly early in the, the lunch rush if you want dessert. Uh, they only make a certain number of them, and when they're gone, they're gone. Uh, I typically try to seek out their key lime pie when it's in season. It is phenomenal. If you like key, key lime pie, it is probably it is better than any key lime pie you've ever had in your life. Uh, they don't try to get all fancy with it. It is a straight down home southern key lime pie and it is done extremely well with one little dollop of whipped cream on it they don't smother it there's no a la mode um, now granted they do their other pies they have blueberry cherry apple um, they always have whoopie pies cakes uh, you, you name it they have it but the the key lime pie is the the showstopper there and as i said earlier if you're not in jacksonville no problem Check them out next time you're in any of their areas. If you go to metrodiner.com, list out their locations, you plug in your zip code, they'll tell you where they are. And they are everywhere. They're touching a bunch of different states now. And like I said, they stretch from Florida all the way over to Nevada. Um, and I can only see this continuing to grow for them. So speaking of Florida, 
Um, I will be going back to Florida in the tail end of July. And so I'll be going down to South Florida on that trip. And I'm going to try to do a seafood review. There's a restaurant I've gone to a couple of times. I might even take the fabulous Kate on this work trip with me um, so that she can try out this restaurant and kind of get a day to just chill out by the pool while I'm working. And then uh, we'll have a nice dinner out and then fly back the next day. But Stay tuned, because I am going to try to do this. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa, Nebraska this coming week. And my brother has already mentioned a place that he says, I got to try out. It's an English pub. It's in Minneapolis. It should be interesting. So I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. Since we were talking about Florida, um, criminal news. <laughs> I hate that I do this. I swear to God, I do not seek out Florida news, but... It inevitably dominates the weird news network. Whenever I, you know, before I do a podcast, a couple of days before, I'll, I'll start a Google search where I'm looking for odd news and I make it global. But more often than not, either the top story or the one that seems the most bizarre to me hails from the state of Florida. And so this week, I only have one weird news story. I didn't really like what was out there. Um, there were, you know, there was... As I kind of mentioned earlier, there was a serious uh, news issue item that came out of uh, Plantation, Florida on the, I believe, 2nd or 3rd of July, and that was an explosion. It looks like a natural gas leak. What what interested me about that was only that it's, you know, it's about four miles from where I stay when I go to South Florida. So I was interested in that. It looks like it was a gas leak, um, 20 plus people injured, fortunately, no fatalities, uh, but just horrific. Uh, that That's not the weird news. The weird news is, um, oh my goodness, this one's a good one. All right. You asked for it. Let's see what we got here. A Florida man pelted his girlfriend in the quote-unquote head and face area with what? Take a guess. Now, when I saw that pelted girlfriend in the head and face area, that was the clickbait headline. So I was like, huh, this could be a DV thing. Domestic violence, not 100% sure. Maybe it's a combo. What would you hit somebody in the face, head and face with? So I was thinking like pistol whipped her, bat, crowbar. I mean, not that I play Grand Theft Auto, but those seem to be the uh, the, the go-to items if you're going to hit somebody about the head and the face. No, not this guy. And that's why it makes my news segment. He hit her with sweet and sour sauce packets from McDonald's because he was angry. She bought the wrong food for him. So he got a felony battery complaint. And the news story reads as a Florida man pelted his girlfriend in the head and face with sweet and sour sauce packets Sunday because he was angry she had bought the wrong food from McDonald's. Jesus Oscar Ferreira Jr., 30 years old, attacked his girlfriend with whom he has a child in the couple's motel room in Tampa, police said. A struggle ensued and Ferreira allegedly pinned his girlfriend to the ground. He placed his palm on her face and pressed her head into the ground using his body weight, which prompted the woman to rip off part of his beard. Yep, she ripped off his beard. By the time officers arrived, Ferreira had fled the motel. According to the complaint, he was arrested and booked into the Pasco County Jail on a charge of felony battery. He made his initial court appearance Monday, according to the smoking gun. Uh, Ferrero was charged with battery earlier this year involving the same woman at another motel, the report said. He pleaded no contest to misdemeanor charge and was sentenced to time served and paid a $750 fine and court costs, according to the report. What 
a nice guy. Um, there's your PSA, folks. No matter what your significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, um, no matter what they do, screw up the order. You send them to the store. You give them two items. Go get me milk and bread. They come back with cat litter and cheese. There's no reason to get violent. There, There's absolutely none. Um, but given that I am taping this on Sunday, July 7th in the afternoon, I have buried the lead long enough and I will culminate this podcast by talking about what transpired today in Lyon, France. Now, to know me outside of the podcast world is to know that I have an affinity, thanks to a very dear friend of mine, um, who will just be nicknamed Chef, who um, woke me or opened my eyes to the U.S. Women's National Team Soccer. And... This was maybe five, six years ago at this point, and he was all hopped up on this female soccer. I was sort of, kind of, into watching Premier League at the time for men, um, but was growing kind of tired or bored with it because it just seemed like it was a lot of brute force, not a lot of skill, even though there's a ton of skill involved. I don't want to get into a debate about that, but it just seemed very, very brute and very um, over the top in the acting on penalties. Like a guy would be rolling around. You'd think that the ambulance would be showing up. And then he pops right back up and can sprint. So I was getting frustrated with that. And he had said, well, have you ever checked out um, U.S. Women's National Team? And I said, no. And he said, buddy. He said, you know they won the World Cup in 99. I said, yeah. He said, uh, well, they're still a dominant team. You need to watch this team. They, and he started naming off some of the the players, and I was excited. I said, okay, I'll start watching it. So I watched a few friendlies and immediately fell in love with this style of football. And to be honest with you, where it differs from the men's game is what excites me the most about the women's game. Um, the women, at least on the, the World Cup stage, which is typically what I watch. If not, I'll watch the other cups that they have, where it's either the Conagra or the uh, She Believes Cup. But you're, you're seeing the best talent in the world. And where it differs is in the technicality of the execution on the pitch. Um, I find the women to be far more technical players. I find their ball control and ability to see the pitch far greater than the men's. Um, their patience their ability to diagnose the defense and then find their opportunities, their scores, while still, you know, maintaining that cat and mouse game, a keep away until you go on the offensive. I, I, I am enthralled when I watch it, um, as enthralled as I would be if I was watching an NFL game. So this final segment um, is one I'm really excited to talk about. I initially wanted to cut the episode earlier this morning until I remembered that today was the final. So how could you not, you know? And in my best Andres Cantor impression, I'll start it off by saying, Goal! What a tournament. The FIFA World Cup in Lyon, France, was this year, hands down, one of the most exciting, enthralling, talent-laden world, female World Cup 
I've ever seen in my life. Yes, the United States team came in heavily favored. However, there were several potential pitfalls that could have easily taken the women out. Um, there, here they come in, fresh off the 15 cup victory, looking to do it again, back to back. Um, the tournament as a whole was a bit of a dominant run for the U.S., not necessarily always in goals scored, but in strategy. Jill Ellis is the, the skipper, the captain, the coach of the U.S. women's national team, is phenomenal. Um, the team began its run with a 13-1 drubbing of the Thailand team. And, you know, Thailand had, you know, they qualified, but they it was kind of like a 16 versus a 1 in the NCAA March Madness tournament they didn't stand a chance and the US women made them pay for it they were on a tour to take no prisoners this year so after a 13-1 drubbing of the Thailand team uh they were immediately criticized because they were being too boisterous in post goal celebrations once the game was in hand and i get that um but in the same regard this tournament happens once every 4 years it is to highlight the best of the best in that particular sport. And I'm sorry, if I can score 13 goals, should I tamp down goals 6 through 13 celebrations? I'm sure I should. But you know what? Sometimes you're just having fun as an athlete. And this isn't an everybody gets a hug and everybody gets a trophy type of tournament. This is a cutthroat World Cup championship tournament. And I don't I don't necessarily criticize the U.S. team for it. I just, I think they might have been able to tone it down a little bit. But I think that that controversy right out the gate helped do nothing but continuously strengthen and solidify this team as a unit. Um, it was amazing to watch. From there, they defeated Chile 3-0. Uh, uh, the third match, they ran into a buzzsaw that was Sweden. Sweden ended up finishing third, um, playing in the consolation game yesterday against England. Um, but Sweden was a good team and a team that, that could have given them some trouble, but they were able to, to get through Sweden and still dish out a 2-0 victory to them, against them. Um, when they hit the round of 16, they faced the perennial powerhouse of Spain. They knocked them out 2-1. That set them up for the quarterfinal match um, against the host country, France, which a lot of people thought France had an opportunity to knock the U.S. off. Um, there was an unprecedented heat wave gripping Europe at the time. France was the host country and thus were allowed to use their national training facilities where everybody else was not. Uh, so they kind of had a, a leg up in preparation. But the U.S. team came out. Um, in this much hype game and prevailed yet again 2-1. Uh, however, Megan Rapino did come up a little bit lame at the end of that game. Um, and, you know, she had scored four of the last goals the U.S. had scored in the tournament, and she, she came up lame with a hamstring pull. So you know, that sidelined her for the semi-match, and that was against... England, and that was considered the prime time. You know, the, the the last two leading into the final were really the crescendos for the U.S. team in regards to talent matchups. When you look at the rosters and the style of play for England and for France, they matched up very well against the U.S. Um, and you know, by a lot of accounts, England and France stood a good chance of of really kind of giving the U.S. a, a, a run for their money, a threat against elimination. Um, yet. 
the U.S. in the primetime matchup tournament was pitting the lionesses of England against the U.S. women's national team, and the result was yet another 2-1 victory for the U.S. and a ticket to the final against the Netherlands. In this match, Rapino was inserted back in against the the Netherlands today uh, into the starting lineup and given the captain shield. The first half saw no fewer than three quality opportunities, but the goalie from the Netherlands was on her game. The half ended with a scary moment. Kelly O'Hara and a player from the Netherlands both went up to head a ball. Um, They collided head-to-head, and they both laid out flat. Um, Sideline reports during the half said that O'Hara wasn't doing so well. Uh, During the halftime, she was put into the concussion protocol and did not return. And that led uh, Jill Ellis to sub in uh, Stallworth um, Krieger. And when Allie Krieger comes into a game, you know, it's danger. It, it really is. Now, I, granted, I watched Allie Krieger in her prime play on the U.S. women's national team. She's not in her prime anymore. However, after taking a year or so off from professional soccer and coming, or, or the U.S. women's national team, and then coming back to it, she comes in with a different perspective. You know, that she comes in with that leave it out on the all out on the field. There is no tomorrow. This was Allie Krieger's last World Cup, folks. Um, I don't know if it's official, but I'm going to call it as such. Just the father time moves on. This game speeds up. Athletes keep getting younger and younger and younger. Um, and you keep your stalwarts who can still run with the young bucks. But eventually, it, it time takes its toll. So Krieger came in second half, began with a bunch of back and forth until Alex Morgan was spiked in the shoulder in the 62nd minute. It was it was vicious. The girl made no the, the girl from the Netherlands inside the box made no contact with the ball. Spikes way up high, drags him literally down her shoulder to her elbow. Uh, they had to do a VAR review on that one. It was determined a penalty, and Megan Rapino was tapped for the PK, for which she did as she's done all tournament when given this opportunity. I think she was three for three or four for four in PKs this tournament. Uh, she buried the 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 ball in the back of the net, which is what she does. That put the U.S. up 1-0 at that time, and the momentum change was palpable. The Netherlands did make some good runs in like the 69th minute, but there was a, a misplay. Rose Lavelle caught a pass and drove towards the back line, got in the box, smoked one to the back post, and gave the U.S. a 2-0 lead. And after that second goal, it was apparent that the wind in the sails of the Netherlands team had just diminished. The U.S. wisely didn't let up and continue to push the ball into their end as viciously as they could. And as the 90th minute arrived, there were additional subs added. Um, you had, uh, so you had Krieger already in. You had uh, Tobin Heath come out and you had, uh, who came in for Heath? Carly Lloyd came in for Heath. And then you had, oh, there was another one that brought another player out. But regardless, um, the U.S. women hang on, even with five minutes of extra and injury time built in. They hang on to a 2-0 victory to win the 2019 FIFA World Cup from Lyon, France. Um, their fourth World Cup championship in team history and back-to-back World Cup championships. They are a team of icons. Um, I'm going to use this last bit to talk a little bit about Um, viewing this team as they should be viewed. This team should be on every single network in the United States, if not abroad, tonight. 
They should be continued to be on networks. They should be continued to be followed. They are a major sport. I'm not yelling in the wind anymore. I've watched female uh, women's soccer really take it to the next level. And it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy. If you watch Tobin Heath's footwork or you look at Kristen Press's footwork or you look at, you know, you, you name it, Becky Sauerbrunn's or Julie Ertz or anybody on this team. Look at the way they handle the ball. Look at the way they move. Whether you're a 10-year-old boy who's just getting into travel soccer or you're an 18-year-old varsity player at your high school, boy or girl, it doesn't matter. You can learn from watching these women play. The one thing that they exude, confidence, determination, teamwork, family. They are an impressive group of athletes, an impressive group of women. They should be compensated equally to their male counterparts. They continuously outdraw in the U.S. men's soccer, yet they are not compensated on the same level as the men. They play the same game, virtually the same rules, the same field. They should be compensated equally. I will always, always, always view the U.S. women's national team as the superior U.S. national team when I'm looking at both the men's and the women's soccer team. The men have never been able to figure it out, and I don't know why, but the women have, and they haven't just started doing it. This is a 20-year progression, starting with the first World Cup championship in 1999 and culminating with the one today on July 7, 2019. They have figured it out. It starts with the organization, the team philosophy, the coach, the players on the field, the personalities, the attitude, and the determination. If the men could put that together, they too would be akin to the women in the hearts and souls of the American public. It's now time that we recognize that the U.S. women's national team and the U.S. men's national team are equals. They should be compensated equally. They should be viewed equally. I feel that in my core. Um, There is a phenomenal, last little PSA I'll give you. There is a phenomenal Nike commercial that is uh, running, literally ran right at the end of the the World Cup. And it says, we believe. Now, I suggest you go check that out. Um, U.S. Women's National Team, we believe Nike commercial. It is phenomenal. I can't steal the audio from it, but... I will tell you that if you don't get chills, you don't have a heartbeat. That's all I got going. So as I said, traveling this week, I will try to tie Mike C in, get a little audio out for you while I'm on my uh, trip. And uh, with all that, I'll let you go. Enjoy your day and week and look forward to talking to you again. See ya. And lastly, as always, don't forget to check me out on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Tune in. I know I'm forgetting some Google Music. Um, or if you have an Amazon enabled device, simply say, Alexa, play Brain Droppings podcast, and she'll get you the newest, most exciting episode from me. So take care, folks. I gotta go!